Hey there, it's Luke, fresh off of a pretty nice, had a little vacation, first time in damn near two years, vaccinated, took a trip to the Oregon coast, and I gotta say, if you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. A vacation, I mean, you know, if it's possible for you. So no episode last week, but a couple weeks before that, I had the opportunity to tour a new facility designed to help people get and stay off the streets. It's called Hope House, and if you've spent any time downtown in the last year, you've probably seen its four stories gradually rising on West 3rd, next door to Feast World Kitchen, and across the street from the Land Rover dealership. There's a certain bitter irony about the location. Uh, Not trying to go class warrior this early in the episode, but I hope some of those people drive out of the Jaguar dealership, the Land Rover dealership, and ride over to drop off a big check to the folks that run the Hope House. But it's a pretty amazing place. There's two main sections, an overnight shelter for women experiencing houselessness that sleeps 100, which will, I think, increase our capacity for that frontline shelter for women anyways by a lot. The barriers to entry in this shelter are as low as possible, which is is key, and we'll talk about this a lot. You don't have to be sober. You don't have to pledge to get sober. You don't have to pledge to get saved. They don't care if you're gay, which I'm sad to report is not true of all shelters. Hope House even has kennels, so pets are welcome. It's a low-barrier shelter predicated on a housing-first model, which we'll get into in more detail. But the idea, basically, is that the best way to get someone off the streets is to give them a place to stay that's not on the streets. If you need a bed, you can have one, period. If the name Hope House sounds familiar, it's because the original smaller shelter was founded in 1997 and opened in 1999 in response to a string of murders eventually tied to Spokane serial killer Robert Lee Yates. If it doesn't sound too familiar, though, that's because the operators, Volunteers of America of Eastern Washington and North Idaho, like to keep a pretty low profile by their own admission, and also because they haven't had some of the chronic problems other shelters have had as our houselessness crisis has ramped up in recent years. As a result, they haven't been targeted by some of the civic groups bent on demonizing the homeless and demonizing low-barrier shelter providers specifically. But they aren't new to this thing either. They've been running Hope House and its companion teen shelter Crosswalk for nearly 50 years combined. I think Crosswalk opened in like 84. In addition to the women's shelter, the upper three floors of Hope House host 60 units of permanent supportive housing for single people of any gender. Permanent supportive housing, like low barrier shelters, is a transitional housing modality predicated on the idea, again, the easiest way to end homelessness is to give people homes with very few strings. Residents might live there for a few months. They might live there for a decade. As my guest Raylan Barden said, some of their residents might live there for the rest of their lives. It's, a, it's an eventuality they've actually planned for in certain cases. And that's the point. Whether it's trauma, drug dependence, or just poverty, there's no assembly line or step program to putting one's life back together. So for all these reasons, I wanted to see the facility and then talk about what has made their model so successful in Spokane. So I spoke with Raylan. She's the communications director for our local Spokane chapter, I guess is what you'd call it about all these things, Hope House, plans, future plans for Crosswalk, their organizational belief in Housing First. I also, though, wanted to know why they haven't been more vocally outspoken about the success of their model, especially as the vitriol has ramped up in the past few years. Some of VOA's biggest supporters have said that not only do they support the work that VOA is doing, they wish they were a little bit more vocal about it. They wish they would jump into the fray a little bit more to really evangelize, for lack of a better word, about housing first as not just 
a model among many, but a, a not even an emerging best practice, a kind of, it's decided. Housing first is the way to go. It's generally agreed upon as a best practice, but it's going to take a push to make it a standard in Spokane. It's something I've been really thinking a lot about and, and honestly worried about. Our public debates about how to help the most in need aren't just chattering class jaw flapping, although they sometimes feel that way. These debates and the money behind them, they shape policy, and in some cases, they give cover to the perpetuation of harm among our most vulnerable. I wanted to know why they felt it was good enough to just lead by example, which obviously it's been a great example, but not, you know, be more vocal combatants in probably the defining culture war in Spokane over the last five years and probably the next decade as well. I got lengthy, satisfying answers to that first set of questions, but to be honest, I got kind of disappointing, boilerplate answers to the second set of questions. You'll hear me tripping over myself at one point trying to reframe and rephrase a couple questions to get Raylan to dig in, but she didn't really dig in. And ultimately, that's fine. VOA doesn't owe me anything, though I do feel like we all owe it to our neighbors who find themselves homeless to fight on every front of this war possible, even if that means having uncomfortable conversations on a public stage. So I guess I'm, gonna, I'm going to keep asking the question because I honestly think it's going to define whether we become a city that treats our houseless like humans and maybe has a shot of actually ending homelessness entirely or whether we remain a city that views houselessness as weakness or laziness or a moral failing and as a result treats homeless people as something less than fully human, which I got to be honest, I feel like happens a lot in this fucking city. Sorry, mom. It's a tone way too much of our discourse takes and it's really, really depressing. But what is not depressing is the work being done quietly, steadfastly by Volunteers of America, Eastern Washington, North Idaho at Hope House and Crosswalk. They have big plans in the coming years for Crosswalk as well that are super cool, including housing that has a dorm-like feel so the kids feel normal, even if their lives are anything but. So we talk about all of that, plus a dive into the root causes of houselessness in our community specifically with Ray Lynn Barden of Volunteers of America. Coming up. I'm Luke Baumgarten, and this is Range. Episode 35. Please, sir. I want some more. What? More? Housing. Raylan Barden, thanks for coming on Range. Oh, thanks for having me. You work at VOA, Volunteers of America, Spokane. Y'all just opened a really incredible new facility down on 3rd Avenue, next door to Feast World Kitchen. So congratulations, that's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. The new facility has two components. It's an overnight shelter for women experiencing houselessness that sleeps 100 people. Above that are three floors of permanent supportive housing that house 60 women and men in, in really nice studio apartments. And I want to talk about that along with your plans for the future. But as I was prepping, I kept feeling like Spokane's understanding of houselessness is overly informed by all the controversy in the last few years and not just like Catholic Charities. It's the Guardians. It's Jewel's Helping Hands. It's the Union Gospel Mission. It's turf wars over funding. It's millionaires making documentaries demonizing the homeless. It's political machinations on all sides. The discourse is super toxic. <laughs> Meanwhile, 
a name I never hear come up in those controversies is Volunteers of America, and you've been doing this work for a really long time. So I thought maybe we could try to reframe the conversation to start and get the scope of the problem, a lay of the land community-wide, and then get to how VOA is tackling its, its own piece of the puzzle. So does that sound like an okay place to start for you? Oh, that is perfect. So what, from your experience, are the causes of homelessness in Spokane? Number one is generational poverty. And we live in a pretty poor community where, you know, a livable wage job is hard to come by. And then when you add generational poverty into that, it just continues the cycle for a lot of people to where it's hard to uh, get off the streets when they want. Right. When we talk about generational poverty, it's not just you had a hard time getting a, finding a job as your parents might not exactly. have been particularly wealthy yes. or have a, you know, have those same problems. Mm-hmm. And so, and then the other, what's the other thing? Housing prices or? Oh, housing prices completely, especially this past year, we've all seen the median house price increase. And, yeah. and a lot of people don't remember that I think 40% of people, if not 60, somewhere in there are just one paycheck away from being homeless. A lot of people can pay a $400 bill. They don't have that much in savings. If right. their car breaks down, that's a game changer. And I think that's a national stat. I think it is like 60% yes. of people. Mm-hmm. And, and you've seen that. So that feels like about right for Spokane as well. I would say so. Yeah. yeah. We hear a lot about substance abuse and addiction as a cause of homelessness. But is it is it a cause? Is it an exacerbating factor? Is it a little bit of both? I would say a little bit of both. I mean, when we talk about our permanent supportive housing, and those are those folks that we house that have been 10 years plus chronically homeless, yeah. uh, they most of them have one or more disabilities. Okay. So that's a huge factor into that as well. And, you know, the amount of affordable housing, and it's not as easy as saying, I don't want to be homeless anymore. I'm going to move off the street. You have yeah. to uh, get an assessment, and then you have to get on the list. And then, you know, there's always the challenge of finding the unit. And something like 40% of homeless folks work or something like that like or they've done work in the last month or something i saw a stat like that nationally as well is that your experience too yeah yeah and then a lot of them do get ssi and then part of that goes to pay their voucher for their apartment so they pay 30 percent of that what does ssi stand for again oh social security income okay right social security is a benefit that you know you get when you're older but it's also if you have a disability or you have some other sort Mm -hmm. of need yeah it's not just for like retirement income right and then you're limited on how much you can earn outside of ssi if you qualify so you can't work so many hours with ssi right yeah yeah that's (laughs) just pretty problematic um (laughs) Chemical dependence is a big issue. And again, this, these are all national numbers. I wasn't able to find local numbers particularly well, but like something like a third of sheltered adults have some sort of chemical dependence, like alcoholism, drug addiction, stuff like that. And a lot of organizations that do the work that you guys do require people to be sober or to not get high or whatever. You guys take a different tack. So can you maybe explain Housing First as a concept and why, why you guys go that way? Yes. Well, we are really successful with our outcomes. Uh, our 40% of our shelter guests are housed within the first 90 days. Oh, wow. And then when people move on from permanent supportive housing, usually they uh, never need our services again. Wow. So we meet people where they're at, and we're really the place of second and third chances. Some, you know, people in their addiction, uh, they're not allowed to use on site right. or you, you know, we want them clean and sober, but it's not a requirement to walk in the shelter and get assistance. Is there a difference between housing first and low barrier or are those kind of synonymous with each other or? Pretty synonymous. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. I hear both those terms. I don't know. I've never, it was never clear. And actually I literally Googled housing first versus low barrier. Yeah. Think, like there was nothing came up. So yes. Uh, and then you know, housing first, we partnered with uh, Catholic charities in the Mary Lee 
So that was the model that was brought there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of being a low barrier shelter, it's not just about like addiction or, you know, substance abuse, whatever, that that you're a low barrier. Like I was walking through the the Hope House yesterday and like there were kennels for people's pets, right? Like what you're trying to do is like eliminate any barrier at all to people coming in and seeking a safe place. Right. We don't want people sleeping on the street. Yeah. You know, people deserve to have a safe place to sleep at night. And we were so excited to work on getting the kennels for folks because a lot that is a lot of barriers for people when they have an animal and you don't want to leave that companion animal yeah it's also probably important to say that you guys are you have like the national organization has a has a religious affiliation but you guys are non-denominational and you certainly don't proselytize correct yeah Yeah. we are a a church but we in here in spokane we're non-denominational yeah it might seem like a small thing for white people or whatever. And I've heard people say a lot, like, if you want to bed in a meal, why don't you just go to Bible study? But, you know, for some groups, it's like really traumatic. Like people have traumatic experiences with religion, indigenous folks, you know, mm-hmm. like I just spoke to Jenny Slagle and she talked about how one of the huge hurdles that at-risk Native people face is like, if they want help, they have to like suck it up and accept service from institutions that have you know, they're affiliated with churches that mm-hmm. were like for hundreds of years actively trying to destroy their culture. You know, her, I think her grandma specifically was in a residential school. So it's like, how oh, hard yeah. is it going to be for somebody mm-hmm. like that to be like, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm just going to go to this place that has sort of been generationally traumatizing. Right. And, and, you know, our folks are more than welcome to seek out religious affiliations and services that meet their needs, but uh, that isn't part of our work model. You don't like force it on them. Yeah. yeah. When the controversy around some of the, the homelessness issues come up, it sort of tends to get framed in like a binary when people are complaining about, you know, let's just euphemistically say the area around Brown and Pacific. They're like, housing first is the problem. All these people are like, you know, lining our streets and it's because there are no rules and whatever. But you guys have been doing this for a really long time. So how do you respond to those people? Well, we bring up always our outcomes and how long we've been doing it. So VOA has been in Spokane 125 years yeah. providing these services. So this isn't anything new for us. We right. ran Crosswalk Shelter and Hope House uh, combined for 55 years. And w- when people talk about that, we just bring up, you know, what we do to change that narrative and how positive we are and how we bring that positivity to our shelter guests and our residents and bring in that community. We do like community rules and how to be a good neighbor and then um and just kind of compassion right to the to the work so we also just you know bring up that we have 180 folks that we're housing that how many we see about 350 kids through our programs wow that we help the, i mean the needs there and i think a lot of people confuse affordable housing and they get a little some different stereotypes in their head where everyone needs affordable housing <laughs> <Right>. so <laughs> that is that's the key that is housing first isn't the issue we need more housing so two things about your approach really struck me as we were talking about this you guys have full time case management like 24 hours a day not quite not but quite like, but yeah but it's full time yes yeah. so every person has a case manager and that case manager works with that person to see what is keeping you from being successful in obtaining housing or keeping housing because it's usually, you know, it could be a combination. And what they really do right away is, you know, a lot of our folks have disabilities, like I mentioned earlier. So they're like, how can we make sure you have proper medical care to address your needs once you're so housing first okay we have shelter over you that's one less barrier you have to worry about right now let's address those underlying health issues and make sure you can consistently reliably 
address those issues because mm. that's a huge barrier if you're dealing with all of these other things. How are you supposed to access medical care right. when you need a house first? Right. You need shelter. Right. So that's where they're at too. And then providing just support. And when we walked through the building, all the apartments, when someone moves in, has a message saying, you are loved, welcome home, just to provide more of that calming and that they're worthy of worthy of shelter. I mean, I've talked to a few guests now in the year that I've been doing this, and a lot of them, whether it's people talking about, you know, incarceration issues or or people who relapse from abuse, it's like it, it often does come down to a sense of a feeling of like a lack of self-worth, mm-hmm. you know, and then the narratives that we spin about houselessness are so toxic yes. um, that I could imagine somebody like that feeling pretty hopeless. And so, I mean, I'm guessing that's maybe why I'm just putting two and two together here, but like maybe why you guys named it Hope House in the first place. It's about like restoring a sense of humanity, dignity, mm-hmm. and giving people hope back. Yes. And I believe the historical name is the women who stayed there came up with that name. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yes. You were mentioning medical care. So you also had sort of like basically rent beds to Chaz and some of the other healthcare mm-hmm. providers. So people, so folks, you know, don't like clog up emergency rooms if they don't really need to be in emergency care. Is right. That true? And, and they just need that extra level of care before they can go back to independent living if that's their case. Or right. then we work with getting them into that model. And then we do have the two beds uh, that are the YWCAs because we are the overflow shelter for domestic violence. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. The shelter on the main floor is for women only, but it sounds mm-hmm. like you're sort of trying to help catch a lot of people who might be falling through different cracks or places where the burden the system gets overburdened trying to help relieve that pressure a little bit yes and our case managers do such a great job with helping folks navigate the system because it's not an easy one and um, i've been with voa not quite a year and it's still hard to learn (laughs) what the system is for accessing services another thing you mentioned that i wanted to like expand on and i didn't get adequate when we talked the first time was you guys are committed to doing diversity equity and inclusion training every month for the staff and then dei audits like what is that what are you what process have you guys gone through to to do that so we do off all staff trainings around cultural equity with uh, we've had dr finney from eastern washington join us and work through some things and then actually as an organization we're doing a dei audit about everyone we work with and to see whether they are um, oh so like your suppliers and your partners and exactly stuff oh, yeah. Cool. yeah yeah to just really if we're going to make DEI a priority we need to do it in all facets of our work like up and down yeah I guess yeah like the supply chain or like your yeah the yes. people that yeah you, the service providers that you work right. with and mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah wow so that's a work in progress um, I think that's that work is just starting this month wow and it's actually something uh, VOA National is doing as well oh that's really cool yes. So everything you're saying is amazing. Like I said, I'm going to like have to profess a little ignorance about VOA because you're never in the news. <laughs> and maybe like it's, you know. We're the best kept secret is what we say. <laughs> yeah, because there, you know, there haven't been massive controversies. You, you know, the stuff that you see like around House of Charity just doesn't happen around Crosswalk or Hope House. I think the only criticism I've heard from people and I really hope we can chat about this uh, sort of openly is like, you've been so successful for so long with such an important model that it's like becoming sort of a best practice. Some people wish you would jump in the ring more when leaders start like throwing blows. Uh, (laughs) And so like, I guess, and using low barrier providers as a punching bag or when our mayor, for example, comes out against a new teen shelter. So do you think that's fair criticism? Do you guys think you could do a better job of like vocally leading from the front and helping shape like the public discourse? I think leading by example, shapes that better than coming into just some sound bites 
Yeah. You know, like we've been doing it for the long, uh, well, pretty long. I don't want to, I'm not sure how Catholic charities, how long they've been in right. Spokane, but we've been here 25 years, 125 years. Right. We don't need to defend the work we're doing as well. We're doing a great job, I think. And um, if they have, people have other issues, they can work those out together, but yeah. uh, we're just going to keep helping people because that should be the focus. Not to push back too hard, but it's like if people <laughs> are sort of pushing out back against low barrier shelters in general, and you know, I, I know that Fawn, your your ED was on the, the downtown committee planning or that didn't kind of come out with like a need for housing. So you're doing really good work yourselves, but if the public narrative is pushing back mm -hmm. against things like low barrier, is that really enough? Well, I think with the coverage we got from Hope House opening yesterday, I think that'll help with the narrative as well. And just getting out what we do and then people thinking, oh, I don't hear about any issues with VOA properties or right. it's pretty minimal. So I think that is helping just getting us out there, not making us the best kept secret. Yeah. And then people see how successful our model is right. and how long it's been successful. We've kind of been talking mostly about shelters because that's kind of the front lines that everybody thinks about. But you guys have this, the, the three floors above and a big part of what you guys do is, is permanent supportive housing. So can we maybe explain how that process works? Like there's a single list that everybody in town sort of gets put on and then, then providers sort of triage and, and do a lottery system. Like how does that work? So uh, I'm not completely well versed in it, but what it is, is it's they everyone who comes in. Uh, so single adults need to go to SNAP and that's who does their assessment. And they mm -hmm. felt something called a SPDACT. Just basically says, you know, how many chronic health issues you have, uh, how long you've been on the streets and just kind of a hierarchy of need. And then yeah. that's how we, the list we pull from when we have a unit come available, the top person gets the apartment right. and moves on through the list. And the new Hope House will have uh, 60 apartments, and those are for single men and women. No children. People have asked about children, but we, we just service uh, single adults there. And what Catholic Charities does families? Yes, yeah. they do the intake for families. And you, you already mentioned a little bit, but that was one of the things that was striking to me up there was like the really affirming art and decor, and then, yeah, how each new resident gets a little sign on their door that says, you're loved, welcome home. And we, we've already kind of covered it, but maybe we could just double down on it a little bit. Like how important is that, you know, creating an environment where people feel safe? If housing is the lowest barrier, mm -hmm. maybe starting to feel safe and comfortable is maybe the second rung up or something. I don't know. What yeah. do you think about that? I would agree yeah. that they need to feel safe and ready to take the next steps and whatever recovery they need to do. And we really focused on that. I'm glad you mentioned the art with just all the local mural or the uh, local artists doing the murals on each floor just to bring more of that sense of home and then a lot of natural light we don't want it to feel like an institution it needs to feel like home yeah it was really bright mm -hmm. yeah at your shelter you're finding permanent housing for people within 40 days you said in, on general uh, 90 40 percent get oh, housed sorry. within 90 days no worries 40 percent get housing in 90 days but you also said that like the average across the system is like people who have been houses for like something like 10 years. Yeah. So our shelter system, we get folks, uh, I'm not sure how long they've been experiencing homelessness in right. our shelter system. So that statistic uh, is just for shelter. But with our permanent supportive housing, those folks have been experiencing homelessness for about 10 years on oh, average. Wow. That's a really long time. What's the, what's the key driver of that? Do we need more housing? Do, do folks just need time before they decide to accept the help? Or is it just literally a housing, like a, a numbers issue? I think it's all a numbers issue. It's housing. It's poverty. So it's how, how many units short are we of helping, have, having adequate units for the entire population? Oh, 
I'm guessing a couple thousand, but uh, I think Slick has that statistic. Spokane Housing Income Consortium, low-income housing. When Catholic Charities started its stuff, I remember Rob McCann saying that, like, their intent was to build enough housing to house everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. But also, that was before we had this huge housing crisis. So right. do you guys have a sense of how much greater the need is than it was maybe, what was it, like seven years ago when all the havens started going up? Oh, I, I think just within this past year with the home prices, it's gone up quite a bit. I mean, the emails we receive weekly asking for services has increased Yeah, uh, within the past few weeks. So anecdotally, we're seeing it that way. Massive, yeah. yeah. Despite like, despite like the the foreclosure and, and uh, eviction moratoriums and stuff, that I would uh, need to connect with Ray Ann, who runs PSH, and see what she's saying okay. on that end. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's a good question because oh. with the eviction, but that I believe that gets lifted at the end of June. I think so. well, and that's yeah. So I'm worried if it's going to get like considerably worse. Right, and and what's interesting with VOA is we're also not only do we house people, we're also a landlord. Okay. So it's uh, two ways for us. So I should right. we should definitely get Ray on here talking with you about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've already talked about it a little bit, but Hope House specifically, mm-hmm. like it's a lot bigger than the old one, but it's also on the other end of downtown. So what what considerations went into y'all choosing that new location? So we wanted to be really close to Women's Hearth because okay. they provide a lot of day services for our shelter guests. So that was very intentional, and it's right next to a Chaz Clinic as well. Right. So a lot of thought went into let's make services as easy as possible for people to access. Yeah. With the increased size and the sort of these different parts of town, like what will you be able to do at the new Hope House that you weren't able to do before? Well, I think the biggest thing is help more women a year so we can get more women off the streets yeah. and into permanent housing. That's the biggest thing. Also, I think we can provide, we added, you know, the, like the dog kennels and things so we can... Uh, better equipped to help women access this low barrier shelter uh, to get help. And then we now have a full commercial kitchen so we can work more with the women on life skills and cooking classes and things like that. What else should we talk about with Hope House that we haven't covered yet? Because I want to talk about your your plans for the future, but I also don't want to like shortchange Hope House. Oh, maybe we should talk about why it was founded. Oh, it was right. It was Robert Lee Yates. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, Hope House was founded in the late 90s uh, by a group to protect women who were being victimized by a serial killer. And then uh, VOA took it over in 2001. I mean, it strikes me that that's like one of the reasons people, you know, it's like homelessness isn't just about poverty, although it often is. And, and we know that domestic violence is exacerbated by poverty. So it's, it's not always like a first order, you know, thing that happens mm-hmm. when it's like, oh, it's, we're just too poor. It's like sometimes poverty leads to domestic violence, mm-hmm. which, and then when somebody needs to leave that situation, they don't necessarily have the money to just like go get their own apartment. Correct. So, right. They end up on the streets. And right. so there's often like, just like cascading tragedies and mm-hmm. traumas that lead to this. Oh, completely. And, and, you know, and sometimes people are like, oh, I don't see a lot of women on the street. Well, women aren't, ex- you know, everyone's not safe on the street, but women tend to hide a bit more. Right. So, yeah. Right. Because, yeah, yeah it's like if you feel, if you already feel vulnerable, right. you're not going to like walk down the street the way that a dude might. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Well, it's super important work. This isn't like the, you're not going to stop there. The next thing you're doing is crosswalk, which is literally like l- maybe a block and a half right. from where we're recording right now, which is a teen shelter that you, y'all have operated since 1985. Mm-hmm. You're going to replace that facility in the next couple of years. So maybe we could talk about the work you do downtown right now. And we'll talk about the new location later. So what, what okay. does crosswalk do? 
Crosswalk serves youth 13 to 17, uh, 24-7, and then it is a day youth shelter for 18 to 21. And we have a full-time GED instructor now. We feed them three meals a day, and we also have case management there as well. And then we just, within the past year now, have a mental health department embedded in VOA that serves all 13 of our programs. And so these are these are for minors that don't have their parents with them, correct? Correct. You know, without generalizing, but sort of in general, like how how do those teens find you, or what sort of circumstances are they fleeing that they end up at Crosswalk? Sometimes it's abuse. Uh, sometimes it might be uh, substance abuse. So I should say, like physical abuse, substance abuse. Uh, sometimes we have parents that decide to leave the state and not take their children. Uh, so that happens as well. Uh, I'm not as familiar with the makeup of. Uh, the kiddos that come there. Right. Um, Subhouse, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but I know we've had all three of those situations happen. The new location is actually not going to be downtown. It's going to be over kind of in Northeast Spokane. Is yes, that correct? We're so excited. Um, we are going to be kitty corner from SCC. Oh, wow. And the kids at the shelter really want to be in a neighborhood. They don't want to be downtown. They want to be in a neighborhood and feel that sense of community and they're we're so excited to join the chief gary neighborhood maybe the outcomes are different or the desires are different but for similar reasons people just want to feel normal right (laughs) right i mean isn't that what we're all talking about here so it's like the kids they want to be yeah they want to feel like kids and then are they going to like take classes at sec or what's the deal yes we are very excited so we do have a board member who is part of the community college and so we'll be working deepening that partnership so that way they're within walking distance of going to school so they can work on their GED and then they can go across and do their AA. They can get job training, uh, whatever they want to pursue in life. It's just right there across the street. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people that I went to high school with from more traditional backgrounds, like they went to community college because they didn't really love their high school experience either. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's like, it can almost be a way of like for kids who aren't quite college age yet to like reset the clock a little bit or, you know, like sort Mm -hmm. of reinvent themselves a little bit. It seems like. Oh yeah. Community college is, is great for everybody. And SCC has just so many amazing programs there where they can move on to a four year if they choose to, or, you know, get job trained right away. Uh, The key with crosswalk and then, it is that they never need our services again, and we end that cycle of homelessness. Right. Or how many people can the current crosswalk house, and how much bigger is the new facility going to be? It's about 20 uh, at the current shelter, and we'll expand to 40. And then we'll have some dorm-style apartments above. Okay. Uh, and we're still working on the final plans for that. And then we'll move our admin building on the third floor there. Cool. And that's, so that's, those dorms are going to be kind of permanent supportive housing as well? Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. Similar to that model, but more uh, kind of like shelter and then let's move, keep moving you through. Yeah. Yeah. So is 40 beds, is that going to be enough for the need or is that? It'll be close. Uh, And then we um, are going to launch our uh, young adult shelter temporarily at Women's Hearth. So it'll just okay. be a night shelter, um, and that'll be on limited hours, and we start that next week. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So in young adult, meaning the 18 to 21 or? 18 to 24. 18 to 24. So again, really just sort of trying to like find at least a little bit of a safety net across like, you know, a range of ages. If Catholic Charities is doing families, meaning kids, mm-hmm. once you get to that weird tween phase, you know, right. so for the 13 year olds, like that's about the time they might run away or they might just feel like they need to extricate themselves from a bad situation mm-hmm. if they're if they're dealing with whatever the abuse is. Uh, it's just about sort of trying to create a, a tapestry of services. 
exactly. for folks. Yeah, and you know, 18 to 24, uh, because Crosswalk is you know, 18 and younger, they are experiencing homelessness, a lot of them for the first time. And we, and they don't feel safe in the um, usual shelter system because you have folks there, like I mentioned, you know, a lot of folks have been homeless for 10 plus years. So it's a, it's a different experience. And again, it's meeting them quickly where they're at. So we end that cycle. Hope House is nice. The new one. Yeah. The renderings that I saw yesterday for the new crosswalker gorgeous like you're gonna yes. i think you're gonna win design awards for that oh thank you so it is maybe part of the destigmatization de- process it's not just about making them feel normal but maybe even a little bit special like if that's like mm-hmm. where the dorm you get to go home to that's like way nicer than any dorm i ever went to college <laughs> right. in, at least from what the renderings are so well you know a lot we encourage family re- re- reunification family reunions as much yeah. you know so we work with that so you know we don't want to see a kid in our system forever, but, uh, or, you know, raise them. But if we need to, we're there. Yeah. But we always try to encourage that other avenue. I kind of hinted at it earlier, but there was like a controversy when like a certain elected official said they weren't in favor of a new teen shelter and that we should just basically house kids with adults or like maybe basically like put up a baby gate or something at like house of charity. That's clearly not the not the view y'all take, and it's not the plans you guys are going for. So, like, why why not? Like, why not just house you know teens who are experiencing homelessness with adults? Well, they don't feel safe in that environment because they are with people who have been in the system for a long time. So they did have a different approach to yeah. life uh, and a lot of those things. And eighteen to twenty four, the biggest key for us is you need we need it in the cycle. Yeah. We don't want to keep seeing chronically homeless adults on the street for 10 years. So we need to reach people as the cycle is beginning for them and make sure that is done. That is the key in what VOA is really focusing on. And we've done a lot of outreach with the neighborhoods and uh, they're very supportive. Well, that's cool because I'd also heard that, yeah, up in that general area, there was concern about a shelter opening up in what, like North Foothills Drive, which is not... That's kind of close. So it sounds like mm-hmm. you guys have done the work with the neighborhood to, yep. to sort of alleviate whatever fears they might have had about that other project. Yeah, we did. Uh, we came, to, we were at every single neighborhood council meeting. We did a town hall just completely based on the shelter, answered questions, and uh, the neighborhood sent a, a letter of support to uh, our elected officials saying that they are excited to have us in the neighborhood. Oh, wow. That's really, really cool. And when we come to a neighborhood too, so like Hope House, all of our neighbors get everyone's contact information because we do have security and they have the front desk line. So we try to be good neighbors so everyone knows who to contact if they experience any issue. And you don't have to comment on this, but it's like we are going to have to get more comfortable with you know, houseless folks or folks that we aren't you know used to having in our neighborhoods as a city if we want to solve this problem. So like you don't have to say it, but I will. It's like, you got to fucking suck it up a little bit to just be like, if I want to solve this problem, if I want to help, you know, make this a a place where everybody can, you know, survive and thrive, which we all say we do want to do. It's like the thing, you know, it's a great place to raise a family, Spokane, that there's, there's a rubber meets the road for a not insignificant and growing number of people in our community that just can't make it anymore. So we all have to think holistically and community wide, Mm -hmm about what are we what steps are we going to take not just in our city but in our specific neighborhoods and our specific communities to to make sure that we're giving people every chance to if they fall out to climb back in to like what we call you know quote unquote normal society you know well i would say that uh we really saw spokane uh 
step up and help us out with this Hope House. The amount of donations we received and not only just monetary, but items to make all those apartments feel like home was overwhelming. And I actually walked into my office and had four baskets from an anonymous donor that uh, just wanted to give back because they know what it's like to start from zero. And we had brand new pots and pans and towels and I'm going to start crying, but uh, That's really it, it was just, it was uh, incredibly overwhelming, the support. Well, including your mom, right? She, she yeah. knitted some towels. <laughs> she wanted, she wanted to do something and she's like, you know what, if they have their apartment, they need a handmade dish cloths. So yeah, two for each apartment. Yeah. <laughs> The last thing I'll say, and this is the only sort of critical thing I'll say about this, is like you, the new Hope House is across the street from a Jaguar dealership and a Land Rover dealership. And I wonder how many of your donors, the sorts of people that might drive those Jaguars, would be comfortable with Hope House being across the street from their own home. And that's all I'm talking about is like we've got to get comfortable housing these our neighbors wherever they might need it or wherever there might be land or wherever we might need to sort of spread out services so that you know, the, the sort of congregating effects of homelessness that like are happening downtown don't happen everywhere. So I'm glad that project's happening. I'm glad that you got community buy-in. I hope more communities do what Northeast and Chief Gary is doing, you know, in, in welcoming VOA. Because now we're going, okay, this is actually kind of where I go off for a second and getting kind of to toward the end. Like, what's it going to look like? And feel free to be brutally honest about this. I really hope somebody is to end homelessness in Spokane in our lifetime. Like, do you see that even being possible? And what would it look like? Wow. I think uh, I think it's possible, but I think it takes, what is that saying? Uh, many hands make for light work. Yeah. So it, it is a community pull, buy-in and just looking out for our neighbors yeah. and just showing that compassion that we've already seen from Spokane so far and, and getting there. And I think it, it's housing and jobs. If you have a certain amount of wealth, you've gotten that wealth somehow. And if you don't want to have to be giving hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, to, to help erect a building or millions mm-hmm. of dollars, like how, how big of a project was Hope House? It's about 15 million. Wow. So, okay. And, and that, that helps 160 people on any given night. Right. And the scale of the problem is three, 4,000 people. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the scale. That's hundreds of millions of dollars. If we maintain status mm-hmm. quo or we just pay people better wages, right. you know, companies take a little bit less profit uh, in order to make living more living wage jobs where people don't fall so easily out of the system. It's going to take a, it sounds like you're saying it's going to take a holistic approach I that so. is not just the frontline intervention in mm-hmm. houselessness. It's more about how do we end generational poverty in Correct. the first place and how do we build enough housing, which probably means dense housing. It doesn't mean ramblers on Indian trail mm-hmm. to house the people that are moving here. Right. And I would uh, bring in a quote from one of our case managers at the young adult shelter town hall meeting we had. And she said, I would love to not have a job tomorrow, but we are here to do the work. What are some of the unique strengths and and maybe unique weaknesses or challenges that we face to solving this problem as a city our size and the kind of place we are, a place that, like you were saying, was a boom town that's been Mm -hmm. a little bit poor for a hundred years. Like, what are the the strengths and, and the challenges we face? Well, I think the challenges are right now just the housing rate uh, as we are growing up a little bit right now in our community. But the strength is just still the compassion of the community with how people step up when there is a need and they hear the need. And especially during quarantine, I think uh, Spokane really shined. Yeah. It sounds like the work's really, really rewarding. I got a little window in the last couple of days that it's 
probably pretty stressful at times, a little heartbreaking at times, probably a little overwhelming at times. So in the year that you've worked here, mm-hmm. what what's given you hope and what continues to give you hope? The clients we serve. They're incredible, amazing people who need housing and deserve love and compassion and the team at VOA who bring that to them every day. And we have just these incredible case managers where they just bring so much dignity and respect and friendship with that line. But, um, you know, I've seen case managers, this someone was having an issue and they laid down on the ground right with them and talked to them. Uh, And that brings me hope every day. And then when we do have our our graduations where folks move on and they don't need us anymore, but (laughs) we're so happy for them. How often does that happen? Like a year? On, on average, like how many people graduate out of your, your system? Uh, the youth I'd have to get back to you on, but I know PSH, uh, the average they stay with us is about four years and they graduate on. Wow, that's great. We need to find ways to make it happen a little bit faster. And the work mm-hmm. that you're doing is to, to always sort of get that, you know, 10-year average down and down and down. Right, right. yes. But, but it's really uh, great to hear that, you know, people do graduate out. You mm-hmm. know, that's awesome. Yes. Well, Raylan, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. Good luck. It was great to be here. Yeah, thanks. Another big thanks to Raylan and the local VOA for the work that they're doing in our communities. This episode was recorded at Speak Studios in their new location at 169 South Stephen Street, downtown. And the interview was edited, as always, by my man, Connor Bacon. If you would like to support the work of VOA of Eastern Washington and Northern Idaho, there's a link in the show notes. You can support them there. And if you'd like to support us at Range, hey, Head on over to rangemedia.co slash subscribe. That is rangemedia.co slash subscribe. Did I just get incredibly nasally at the end here? I feel like I'm snorkeling through a uh, vat of my own phlegm. All right, I'm going to sign off and take some allergy meds. Have a good week, everyone. Bye.